Hello, it's Richard Herring here. Welcome to my podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. And my stand-up tour is about to begin. Can I have my ball back? First stand-up tour in six years. Many of you just know me from the podcast. Don't know, I've done 14 or 15 stand-up tours in my own right. I'm a brilliant stand-up comedian. And can I have my ball back? I think it's my best show ever. That's what the audiences are saying. It's about testicular cancer, but it's funny because testicles are funny, even though cancer isn't. Uh, I'm really pleased with it. I'd love you to come and see it. Bring your friends. Some of the shows selling really well. Some of them selling really badly. It's a traditional Richard Herring tour. But here's where I'm going to be. 2nd of May, Thursday at the Luton Hat Factory. It's a small venue, but there are still tickets left. 3rd of May, I'm at the Berry Hedge End, which is near Southampton. That's looking more full, but still some availability. 8th of May, I'm at the Leicester Square Theatre. There's about 10 tickets left for that one, though I am back at the Leicester Square Theatre in June. And then I'm at St Albans on the 9th, Gloucester on the 10th. Chorley Little Theatre on the 11th, that's sold out, but you can join the waiting list. And then the 12th of May, I'm at Glasgow, afternoon show sold out. Evening show, extra show, put on, still with tickets. And then there's lots more. Go to richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs. And now enjoy whatever podcast I've given you. It's free. It's all for you. If you want to pay me back, buy a book, come and see a show. That's all I've got to say to you. Love you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, and welcome to another Hellestar Book Club. Uh, this week, we are discussing your show by Ashley Hicks and Lovance who is with us uh, remotely. How are you doing, Ashley? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, good. Yeah, all good. I'm healthy. I'm hungry, which is good. Um, okay, well, that we'll try and get... We won't, we won't keep you too long. You can have lunch. I'm going to have lunch as well. Where are you? You've got, like, quite exciting stuff going on behind you. There's some sort of futuristic pipes there. Are you in the future, or are you? where are you uh, from? Yeah, I mean, academia. I mean, I'm at university, <laughs> uh, which is... Yep. You know, not that exciting. I actually teach at the University of Suffolk. Um, yes. where I teach creative writing, uh, which is hopefully fitting because I, I try to use some of the skills in, you know, in my work. I'm not sure if that actually fully manifests itself always. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a beautiful building. So that's what you can see behind me. I'm in a lovely okay. building. So yeah, all good here. All lovely. Good. So can you tell, for those who may not be aware of you, Ashley, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all? Who are you? And uh, what do you do and how did you get into writing books? Oh, the hardest question to start. A deep <laughs> question to start. Um, I didn't even like reading as a teenager. I really didn't. I was, um, you know, I went to a, an all-boys secondary school in North London, big up the St Aloysius crew. Um, and, um, yeah, we just didn't, we, we didn't read books. That wasn't cool. You know, we talked about football. We talked about girls from the local school. Uh, and it wasn't until I went to sixth form that I um, I joined the book club and, um 
and that's when I started reading, uh, you know, literary fiction, um, you know, seminal texts like George Orwell and, and, and Ian McEwan and, and, you know, masters of their craft. And I, I love reading ever since. I started writing sonnets as a teenager, late teenager in, in university, uh, because it was 14 lines, it was short, it was accessible. And that poetic craft kind of feeds into how I started writing. You know, I tried to use yeah. a lot of poetry in my, in my prose uh, not too much because otherwise it'll get a bit dizzying. But you know, a bit of alliteration, a bit of rhyme, a bit of half rhyme. Basically, I'm a wannabe rapper, uh, and I try <laughs> in my books. Yeah, good. That's fantastic. And uh, your previous book, which I haven't read, but I really love the sound of, uh, it's called the Three Nine Two. Can you tell us? Did you write that on your iPhone? Is I, I saw it in an interview, which I'm very impressed with. That's the first thing I'm impressed with, but it sounds like a great idea. So tell us a little bit about that. I did, yeah. Lines <laughs> and lines on my notes app on my iPhone. Um, a bit of a haphazard way to, to craft a, a novel, but it worked for me. Yeah, about 80% of it, 75 to 80% of it was written on my phone. And I left it to the very, very last minute before I uploaded it onto my laptop. But um, yeah, I wrote it on my way to work uh, quite often on a bus, um, which is a good thing because the 392 is a completely made up bus route. I made it up from to go from Hoxton to Islington, which is where I grew up in Hoxton, and I moved to Islington. So it's a sort of metaphorical journey in many ways. But uh, on the bus are different characters. You've got a homeless man, you've got an, a young teenager on her phone messing around with Snapchat and playing, I don't know, grime or something. You know, you've got um, a politician who resembles a little bit of a bojo, so to speak. And um, yeah, it's just trying to capture a cross-section of society and there's a big twist at the end. And I'll be honest, it's, it's been a bit of a grassroots success. It was released with a fantastic indie publisher called Own It. And I didn't really, I thought, if people in Hackney read this, I'd be delighted. If my family read it, I'd be even more delighted. But it, it's done really well. It's done really, really yeah. well. And it got my name out there. It's allowed me to teach at universities. It's allowed me to do my PhD in creative writing. So I'm very thankful to all of the support of the 392 got. And it's still selling well. So good. Um, I'm very pleased with it, actually. Yeah. Good. No, it does sound terrific. So I will. Uh, if I can find the time to read another book by you, I will, I will do so. Um, and so let's get on to your show, which is really terrific book. Uh, and it's... Um, it's about uh, Uriah Rennie, who is uh, the first and only black premiership referee. Um, although it's, you know, it's there's a lot more going on in there than that. But it's uh, what what drew you to this subject matter, first of all? Why, why did you want to write about Uriah? I qualified as a referee when I was 16 years old because I wasn't good enough to play it. I couldn't even get into the school team. Um, but I still wanted to be around the game that I love. So I, I, my first game was on Hackney Marshes and it was two adult teams. I was 16. I had long sort of plaited cane road hair and my glasses on. Uh, and I hated every <coughs> single minute of that 90 minutes. I think I stopped at 89 because I hated it very much. Um, and I walked off the pitch. I'm thinking, why on earth would anybody do this? Why would anyone be a referee? And on top of that, why would anyone be a black? Why would a black man want to be a referee? <laughs> and it was from that moment. It really was that formative. It was of such a formative experience standing in the middle of a cold Hackney Marshes. That I thought, I want to know more about Uri Rennie right now. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. and I even tweeted about it a few years afterwards. I think I tweeted that one day I'm going to write a book about Uri Rennie. And 10 years later, you know, that's manifested itself in, in the form of your show. So that's, you know, that's uh, perseverance there manifested. But um, yeah, I, I wanted, when I was refereeing, and I did, I did grow to actually really enjoy the experience and, and do quite well, well of it. You know, I, I became a semi-pro referee for a few years. Um, 
I was like, no one understands what it's like. You know, my, my partner or my friends, they don't really get how great it feels to give an advantage. They don't really get how good it is <laughs> to, to, you know, to, to control a player by giving them a fruit pastel. They don't get that. So I need <laughs> to write it down. And yes, this is a book about Uriah Rennie and his journey from Jamaica to Sheffield to the Premier League. But also, it's a little bit of me in there, you know, what it's like yeah. to, to be a black man in the centre to be a black man in the middle of a, a very predominant white arena, white space. Um, and so you've got the added difficulties of, of trying to navigate, you know, that added complexity of not only being a referee, but a black referee. So yeah. it's a bit about what it means to be, a you know, an outsider, but it's also what yeah. it's like to make game-changing decisions every three or four minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's, there is so much in there and there's, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about, but I guess it's quite rare to see things from the rest point of view. You, you know, I think you sort of talk about um, football sort of being a pantomime anyway. And obviously the referee is is the sort of villain in the middle of it who everyone's allowed to shout at and, and hate on. And who, you know, the only way you can be a successful referee is for nobody to notice you, which is basically impossible. Exactly. Uh, and you're obviously going to alienate half the crowd, even if you get it right so so it's you know it's something that I, I hadn't thought about I have to say this book I don't you know I think I don't, I don't I'm not a massive football fan I do like football and uh uh and I and, and I don't think you have to be a, a football fan to in, to enjoy this book it's sort of like beyond that um and um yeah it's uh you know but it, it was fascinating to think from that point of view um yeah and that, yeah, yeah and I didn't know anything about Uriah Rennie so I was kind of as interested in the story is very gripping because, you know, it's about his rise uh, through the ranks and whether he'll get to ever officiate the FA Cup, which I didn't know because I don't know anything about him. So, you know, there is a there's a through line there. But, um, you know, it is fascinating to think about a, a, a hate figure um, and and see things from their point of view. And obviously, this is a fictionalized account as well, I should say. So you have. This is this is your fictionalized version of him, rather than being an out and out biography of him. It's a novelization. Absolutely, yes. I mean, look, there is there, there are lots of merits to the to the to the autobiography, especially the ghost written autobiography. You know, it's quite an accessible read. It's it's quite formulaic, so you know what you're going to get. You know, it starts off sort of cradle to to present with some nice pictures in the middle. But this is not that. You know, this is my version, in so to speak, of, of his journey, and I think it is a fantastic inspirational journey he came from a very rural background in Jamaica so he not only is he the first um you know black referee to referee in the Premier League but he wasn't even born in this country you know and I think that that says a lot about his character and I did actually speak to him um on a few occasions um and you know he he was you know he warmed up to me um (laughs) (laughs) which says a lot about our first meeting doesn't it in so many years um he warmed up to me and uh yeah I mean the original working title for the book was The Bastard is black you know playing right. in the fact that you know the bastard in black and he was like yeah you can write the project you can do the book but please change that title so you know we, we had to sort of meet in the middle for some for some things but you know I, i'm i he's a hero to me because of his journey because of what he yeah. achieved and look he wasn't the most liked figure on the football pitch uh and that's saying that and no, that's putting that lightly but what he you know for me i wasn't i wouldn't be a referee I wouldn't be involved in refereeing as I still am if it wasn't for him. And, you know, I owe it to him. And I think, as you've said, even if you're not a football fan, I think you can take a lot out of this man who not many people know about. Even Wikipedia has his page wrong. Wikipedia says that he was born in Sheffield and that's not correct. So, you know, I think there's a lot to take from this in the way that it's written, but also this inspirational journey of a man who I think is terribly underappreciated.
Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, but I like the fact that your portrayal of him, you know, is is sort of honest and it's sort of it, it, any character. It's not really a character flaw, but he's a very he's ambitious, yeah. which is good, <laughs> <laughs> and he should be. But he's got he's very driven, very single minded, and it, it making him the perfect referee because he's it's all about I'm doing the job. I'm but but that kind of pedantry, which is absolutely necessary yeah. for him to do the job properly and for him to be into the rules and understand the rules yeah. is obviously infuriating to anyone who go, who's, who's on the wrong side of it. And, and, and you know, I kind of like the way that people spot patterns in it. You know, people decide that, that, that he's against Alan Shearer or Alan <laughs> Shearer decides that or Newcastle United. Yeah, Kevin yeah. Keegan doesn't, <laughs> clearly doesn't like him. But, the, you know, the arrogance as well. I mean, if he wasn't a black man being a referee, I wonder whether he would have had that reputation at all. You know, I think it, that's what... And, you don't, and, and, and I, I, you know, obviously it is about blackness and it is about a black man making his way in a white world. But you don't overplay that at all. You allow that to seep through because, you know, referees are unpopular and people hate referees. There are a couple of bits where it, it, it crosses the line and, you know, mm-hmm. and there's, there is racism in there. But that implicit thing in the background is, does it, has he got this reputation because of his skin colour? as Because he's doing the job and he's doing the job the same as everyone else. Uh, but, it, you know, is, it, is, is that arrogance perceived as being something negative due to... His skin color. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, when, I, when I did meet uh, when I did meet Yuri on a few occasions up in Sheffield, where he is based, I was trying to so I, I was trying to probe him a bit more about some of the, the racist abuse that he received as a referee. And, you know, because it's pretty obvious given the time frame in which he was at the centre, you know, going rising up the ranks into the Premier League, etc., that he would have experienced quite a lot. But, you know, Uriah and Yuri, so, you know, he goes by Yuri. Uh, Yuri is quite a stoic figure, you know. He, he didn't really want to dwell on that, you know. He, he, right. just, he, he just sort of kept reiterating he did his best and he just put up with it. And, and that's, that sort of, you know, repetition is something that I was keen to, to use in your show. And, in yeah. fact, when he talks about his area, for instance, in Sheffield called the Wyburn, it's an estate literally 10 minutes away from the centre of Sheffield. Every time he described it, he would always call it a tough, tough estate. And I just clung on to that phrase. And, you know, it's a phrase that is repeated in your show. So that sense of repetition isn't just there because I love poetry and I love, you know, because I want to be a rapper. Um, it's because it's phrases that I've taken from him and, and from our interviews. And I've used that as a sort of, you know, the, the, the crux of the style because that is how he was uttering it. So, uh, and, you know, for, for if anybody doesn't really agree with some of Yuri's decisions in real life or, <laughs> or in your show, um, you know, there are sections in your show because it's written in second person using you. And there's also yeah. a bit of like, you know, sort of Chris Tarrant-esque, who wants to be a millionaire, where you can decide what decision you would get. Uh, so you, sorry, which decision you would give, you know, yeah. when you're faced with a very angry Alan Shearer pointing and swearing in your face. So it's up to you as the reader. Do you give him a red card? Which I think you should. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's there's lots of ways that you can you can sort of manage um, the abuse, um, you know, as a reader in this book, I think, you know, both in terms of yeah. racial abuse, but also, you know, the sort of verbal abuse from the coaches and the stands and, and the players on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, we we did you touched on it there, but the stylistic nature of this novel is is quite different to nearly anything else you'll ever see. So, when, so you did all the way through. It is the narrator or possibly Yuri himself uh, addressing him. So it's all it's all addressed to you, and it's all it's all sort of telling the story 
Uh, how, why did you choose that? And is there is there a preferred reading for you? Is it is it Yuri talking to himself, or is it you talking to Yuri, or is it all of us talking to Yuri? <laughs> what 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 made you go that way? Because it's 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 very affecting, and it is very poetic, and it does feel like this mock heroic poem mm. uh, as much as a novel. Uh, but but what 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 drove the decision to to write it in that way yeah it's really interesting you know as I said I teach I teach creative writing um and I always say to my students don't write in second person <laughs> it's so jarring and no one likes it and what have I done I've released the book entirely written in second person um but the, the, yeah there are a few factors uh, when I when I met him for the first time I thought this was going to be written in first person I thought there was so much crossover between our lives you know my family's from the Caribbean not Jamaican my family from St Lucia but you know not, not a, few, a few islands down um sure. I'm a referee he used to be a referee I'm you know I'm a black man whatever and I thought Do you know what this is going to be in first person. But then when I met him, I was like, no, we are different. And actually, I think it's going to be more effective if me as a sort of authorial voice or a version of me as an authorial voice is speaking to Yuri or speaking to, you know, speaking to Uriah. So I decided to make that decision and try it out at least for the first uh, few chapters. Um, and then I read a few good books, um, a book called uh, Your Fault by Andrew Cohen, uh, written in, in, in second person uh, was very inspirational to me and I just thought it really worked because it feels like yes the author uh, slash the reader as well is speaking to yeah. Yuri directly but also as I said it's like your the, the emphasis is on you to make a decision um, you to to keep up with play for you to uh, deal with you know players pointing their fingers in your face and swearing at you so what would you do reader in certain situations yeah. um his initials are you are, uh, your, you know, yeah. there's lots of things there. That last one was tenuous, I'll be honest, that last one was tenuous, but you know, <laughs> I need a list. Um, so yeah, there are a few, there are a few reasons, but actually I love yeah. reading this out loud. So when I'm asked to do events and you know, I was lucky enough to do Edinburgh last year and go to Ireland and read it, you know, it sounds like, you know, I think the reader and the listener, sorry, it feels like I'm speaking to them directly and it creates this lovely lilting cadence, I think with the second person, um, which I think really effectively works, if I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> I think it does. I think you know. I think it does. And I think if anyone, I mean, you've got a quote from David Peace, uh, but he's someone else who's, who's. I think he's. Well, he, he does lots of different kinds of books, but I love. I love all of his stuff. But his football books are like gripping and very, uh, very. You know, again, not a huge football fan, but I. But I love those. Uh, the, the, his 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 books on on that. Yeah. Was was that a big influence as well? Was was, was that something? that you felt, you know, I have to watch out. Not, I'm not treading on toes here. No, absolutely. No, David Peace was, is, is on the list. as just another reason yeah. why it's on second person. Second person. Yeah. You know, I loved uh, Red or Dead, which is about Bill Shankly. It's amazing. Um, yeah. the, you know, again, the repetition, um, which works so effectively to, to, to capture sort of the monotony of, 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 of his career, but also post-retirement, fantastic. But obviously the Damned United is, is now a seminal work of, of, of football literature. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it does use a second person, it sort of switches, but it does use a second person quite a lot to get inside the head of um, Brian Clough, especially during his spell as the Leeds United manager for 44 days, I believe. And yeah, you know, yeah. it's a brilliant, brilliant book. Um, and yeah, you know, I was very lucky to, to make contact with, with David Peace before the publication of your show, um, before it was even sent to the publishers. Um, I managed to get his email address from a friend, Nick Bradley, a very good writer himself. And I sent it on to David Peace and he said, I loved it. I know someone who's going to love it at Faber. And it all sort of went from there. And, you know, right. I'm, I'm very, very pleased because 
David Peace actually has a quote well, on the hardback, uh, but on the, on the front of the paperback. Um, and it says about poetry and detail. And that means a lot because obviously, as we've said, not only the football novels, but David Peace is a fantastic writer in, in, yeah. in the way he captures the, you know, the sort of nitty gritty of, of, of UK life also now in Japan. So, yeah, big fan. And, and I'm very grateful to David Peace. I think if you do love The Damned United, you will definitely should get something out of your show it's it's, it's similar in, in 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 stylistically a bit um yeah. i i perhaps relied on truth a little bit more because i had to be a bit more careful because yuri's still alive alan shearer is definitely still alive um <laughs> united fans you know a lot of them uh, you know know yuri and uh, familiar with him still so i had to be a bit more careful but yeah. not to any detrimental extent i you know the book wouldn't have changed if it was written in 50 years time if i'm being honest because it was about okay. the style and the and the, you know the pace and the dynamism of a really good 5-5 football match not a nil nil yeah yeah well i think what's really impressive is the, the level of research that has obviously gone into it you're a young man you're born in the mid 90s so you you know you are too young to have really experienced much of what's <laughs> of this. Maybe when you're about ten, you could you could have been watching a few of these games at the end of the <laughs> career. But uh, you know, just like the the stuff, I guess you, you know, you've got that the, the, a similar, as you say, a similar heritage. But that's that stuff of the stuff about his childhood in, mm. in Jamaica is amazing. But the stuff about the references that you just list about the 1980s and 1990s are spot on. So <laughs> how did you go about? Uh, finding out about this now historic i'm tragically as a as i was a teenager during that time uh, this historical period uh how, how was how was that done first of all not even with not even including the football stuff which is obviously heavily researched as well what, yeah what i had that? honestly i had an absolute blast writing this book for, for, many, <laughs> for many reasons um in relation to some of the football scenes before i talk about some sort of the, the early decade stuff um the football scenes i had access to like the archives for like match of the day from like 1990 like 1995 onwards so right. i was like up until like two three in the morning just watching leicester city versus barnsley <laughs> or something you know um yeah just like absorbed by you know the not so great quality of the matches but <laughs> all, all for research and thinking about what games could I include in your show. Um, and in relation to, yes, yeah, so obviously Yuri, he, he came to Sheffield in the late 70s. Um, and I really just used music. That was my main, the main focus. And um, there is a Your Show playlist that comes with, with the book, um, which is online somewhere, Spotify or the Faber page. Um, and I tried to capture it, ch- capture the essence of the time period through music um but yeah you know youtube documentaries i i spoke to people in sheffield i you know i i, I went to sheffield walked around a bit took it all in it was all part of it but um yeah, yeah definitely musical references uh you know the old gray whistle tests and watching clips on 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 iplayer and stuff that was it was great um i i love listening to i, I would say the 70s and 80s from some of my favorite music uh, some of my decades for music, even though I wasn't even born yet. You know, I also yeah. love dub and rock steady and Jamaican ska. It's my favourite genre. Um, so it was absolutely a real pleasure to listen to that and try to emulate that sort of musicality, that rhythm, that lilting cadence. Like for the beginning of um, your show, he dances to Cherry Old Baby by Eric Donaldson. And I must have listened to that tune over, over 30 <laughs> times. Um, so, yeah, no, it was, it was it was really great. I absolutely had an absolute blast for research. And what, what I should say is it was part of my PhD in creative writing. So, um, you know, that was my, my job, essentially, for, for a couple of years. Um, 
I was planning, right, on booking a trip to Jamaica because the first few chapters are set in Jamaica. Yeah. And as I was just about to go, COVID hit, and I, ah. I, never, I never wasn't able to go. So I, I'm gutted. Um, <laughs> but yeah, maybe, maybe I can go in the future. Oh, well, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know so much about the about Jamaica, but it felt it felt very real, uh, and you know, and, and that it's take, you know, it's interesting to take this dehumanized figure just of the referee, um, and and humanize him while still kind of being honest about about his about his personality, um, but you know, I think that seeing the the childhood stuff and the trip to you know that confusion over the over coming to mm. England from Jamaica, you know, expecting every, everyone to know the Queen and, ex- and expecting everyone to know each other because they would do on a, on a tiny island. And a child obviously being transposed to to the UK and especially to like the <laughs> to somewhere like the north of Sheffield. Yeah. That's that's it's going to be beyond their imaginings, you know, to go that way. You see plenty of things of people going the other way. I think, but you don't you don't often think about that how how. How, what a mind fuck it must have been for that Absolutely. kid to to take that journey, and you know, and imagine going from Jamaica. I mean, I love Sheffield, but you know, it's a, <laughs> just in weather terms, that's quite a, big. That's, that's quite a leap. Big big difference. Yeah, and, and, you know, I would say generally that the first half of of uh, your show, you know, structurally is 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 based on his early life, um, Sheffield yeah. and and, uh, and Jamaica before then, and that's you know very much. Uh, a retelling of, of what he actually said, you know, and, and how he actually felt, you know, when he says England was cold, he told me more often than not, it was cold, you know, yeah. as you might expect. And there is this scene at the very beginning where, you know, he's traveling from, from Jamaica with his, with his younger sister, because uh, his parents have already moved over, you know, they've gone over to Sheffield, they've, they've settled, um, uh, found work, saved up enough money to bring Yuri and his sister back, uh, sister to Sheffield for the first time. Um, and, you know, he has to, you know, he, he has to be that sort of early father figure as early as a teenager. And he yeah. has to take responsibility. Um, and he has to be, you know, more mature than his actual age. And I think that feeds nicely into the role that he assumed when he was coming up through the ranks as a referee and the role, you know, he was as a Premier League referee, this, you know, this, this need to, to be in control. Um, yeah. This need to look after everybody and stop anybody yeah. fighting and uh, stop Vinnie Jones uh, misbehaving himself. Um, you know, and I think, um, yeah, all of those early years were incredibly formative for the figure that he became. You know, he not only refereed in the Premier League and, and still is in 2023 the only black referee in the middle of the Premier League. And I know things are changing when we will get there. Yeah. But first in Europe, he refereed for FIFA. He refereed in Ireland, he refereed in Poland, he refereed in the south of France. Absolutely incredible. And that's not happening now. And he retired in 2008. For me, yeah, you know, as I've said, I'm just a huge, huge admirer of him. And, you know, we speak every so often on WhatsApp. And we always ask how the family is, respectively. And, um, you know, we, we take the mick out of uh, football results going on. I won't say what team he supports. I won't say what team I support uh, after the 7-0 drubbing on Sunday. Oh, this <laughs> yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's uh, well, that's all, you know, that is, when I met, I met you at uh, an, an, another book event for, for Tortoise, and, uh, you know, we saw it. Again, I hadn't really thought about this. About you know, a that there's only one black Premiership referee, and and, and still that's the case. It's sort of crazy, but it is you know the the thing I like about football, and the thing the reason I don't like don't mind football as being paid lots of money is because it feels like a profession that is based on skill, and if you are, if you do well, you progress. Uh, and so you think, oh, this is, you know, this is, we've got this wonderful system. It's not like everywhere else. If you're good, you'll do well. But even, you know, not even, even amongst the players, the players, there's there's black players, but there's hardly any black managers. So it, there's still this prejudice. If it was proportionate, there would be, you know, how many black managers have we had? Not very many, even in the last 20, 30 years. Um, and if it was proportionate, there would be a hell of a lot more if it was proportionate based on skill. And obviously it's not the same job, but that's it, 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 that, it, that this equality that I kind of liked about football isn't there, mm. is it, from a, from a black perspective? No, I, I, don't, I don't think it is. Um, I don't think it is. And I, I'll start off with a sort of very positive caveat before I, um, <laughs> before I uh, let loose, uh, before I'm let loose on what I really think. Um, look, things are definitely positively changing I'm, I'm just speaking from referees I don't know too much about managers and coaches it's a sort of different yeah. remit to, to the world that I um you know the world that I, I work in um but there, there are definitely some positive things going on some the right people in the right uh, places the right conferences the right training people getting uh, promoted um yeah things are looking good and I think it won't okay. be long I think in the next few years things are going to look different 100 percent However, as a referee, you know, having gone through the, some of the steps myself, as I said, I used to be a semi-pro referee. It wasn't good enough. It was, it was, it was probably undeniably racist. You know, I would do games and I would get comments, um, indirect comments um, about you know how I looked, um, and that yeah. would definitely. I, I, I remember coming off games thinking I had a very good game. Twenty-two very happy players, one yellow card each, maybe no yellow cards, depending on what mood I was in, and. You know, I would have an observer in the stand or an assessor, as they were called back then, said, oh, you missed this, this and this. That wasn't good enough for this reason. And I'm like, the players are happy. You know, I follow the laws of the game. And, 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 you know, it's I've seen some friends of mine who are very good officials, you know, also referees of colour, also officials of colour, um, not referee anymore because they weren't yeah. being treated fairly by the system. 
um, and you know, as as a, as an indicator um, of the flaws of the system, I think Yuri is 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 the marker of that because, like I said, he retired in two thousand and eight. We're now in twenty twenty three, and he's still. There have been some officials of color on the line. Um, so, um, Bupsy Gill and his and his brother Sonny Gill um, have done some official in officiating in the Championship and, and Premier League in respective positions. But in the middle, Uriah yeah. Rennie is still the last referee there's been when he walked off that pitch uh, for Liverpool Tottenham um, at White Hart Lane, two thousand and eight, uh, and that's simply not good enough. The reason why I got involved in refereeing, the reason why I wrote this book, is because I saw him on the television smashing it doing a great job, monstrous thighs, running around <laughs> corner to corner. We need to see that, you know, to, to be it, you need to see it. And yeah. they have been failing in the past, but there are definitely massive changes going on. Good, good. Well, and, you know, and it's a testament to him and and his absolute sort of pig-headedness <laughs> and, and belief in himself that he that he made you know that he managed to do this you know and and a sort of even an even worse time when people potentially didn't care about this i mean he was a very he was a fantastic athlete right so he was he was actually probably the fittest <laughs> the fittest um referee going but he was a superb runner and you know and and kept that up and you know and that is also part of the thing you don't think about um, how fit the referee has to be, and also that their career has has parameters. You know, you think, oh, they, you know, it's not, they're just running around in the middle. It's fine; they can carry on till they're fifty. But of course, they that that's a, it's a, such a demanding job. And I hadn't, I'd never really consciously sat down and thought how you know how fit you would have to be mm. to 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 be the referee of a Premiership game. And and they, and you know the sadness of his him getting older and. And you know, backs and forth, you know, the, the, uh, of, of losing it and getting it back. But uh, yeah, yeah the, his fitness obviously in the end meant that uh, he couldn't carry on, having been such a fit young man. Absolutely, yeah. No, he loved yeah. sport, and I got that that impression straight away. He absolutely loved sport growing up, all sport, cricket, running, football, etc. Um, and you know, he he ran uh, half marathons regularly. He's you know, he's a big member of the of the South Yorkshire Sheffield community for charities, and he would run marathons and half marathons regularly to to raise money for those charities. And he still you know, a patron for, for many, many charities, too many to, to mention. I actually do mention a few at the back of yeah. the show, but I have to stop, otherwise it would just get, it would just go on for pages <laughs> and pages and pages. Um, but yeah, no, incredibly fit. And obviously, yeah, in, injury really tarnished the, the, the end of his career. But I'm really, you know, I'm really chuffed with the last few chapters because the, the last chapter is, is, you know, it's 2018, it's what is signposted. That's the last chapter. And that very much is the moment that I went to meet Yuri for the first time uh, to ask him whether I could actually write this book. Um, yeah. And the whole scene takes place in the leisure centre in Sheffield. And yeah, he wasn't, you know, the same figure that I, I saw, you know, as a, as a teenager on Match of Day, but he was still a big, imposing man. Um, and yeah, his, his, his walk was, um, you yeah, know, a bit of a limp, I think, at the time. Um, but I was still so, like, awestruck by him. Um, and terrified by him. I'm trying to get, basically, I was scared. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I was scared. I was meeting a hero and he's still a big <laughs> Uriah Rennie figure, a huge, a huge man. Um, but yeah, and I'm really pleased with how I tried to capture that sort of anxiety, but also, um, you know, how in awe of him I was in that last chapter. Um, yeah. And then the last, you know, the last line is, is him saying to me, which really happened, can I get you a coffee? 
yeah. and I'm really, yeah, really, really chuffed with with the arc of the whole of the whole book and the whole novel, and 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 the, and the reaction, you know, the reaction from readers. This is a, a football novel in so many ways. I think it's a football. I think it's a book for everybody for a wide, wide yeah. readership. You know, obviously, it's, it's about a, a man who was a football referee, and it's been well received. Decent reviews from the Guardian, the Times, and um, the Observer. Jonathan Liu has been really uh, a champion of this of this novel, and um, you know, doing events with yourself. Uh, you know, at Tortoise as well. So, yeah, really chuffed with, with the reaction. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just hope that it, you know, reaches more readers. Um, I'm, I'm sure it will. I, you know, it is, it is you know, I, I only have books on that from people that, that I've, the, the books I've enjoyed. So, <laughs> so you're saying that everything's a recommend on this show. But, uh, but yeah, I really, I really like this. And, you know, I'm not, I, I've, I've read main, I've been reading mainly, um, you know, factual books that, you know, I suppose this is sort of halfway between. I haven't, mm. I've I, I, I sort of gotten out of the habit of um, reading novels, which I've done a bit more for because of this podcast. And it's really, you know, it is, it's, it's great when something that is a novel, admittedly one based on truth, but change around sort of grips you and you're pulled in and you, the story really pulls you along. And like, as this conversation shows, there's so much, there's so much going on in it. In a way it's, you know, there's a simplicity to the way it's written through that repetition and through the, through the way it's, the way it's told, but it's it, again, it's sort of hypnotic and uh, and pulls you in. Uh, I wondered why you didn't do the audio book yourself. I listened to the audio book, which I have a couple of problems with. <laughs> it's still it's it, it's uh, it's good, but I'll tell. Should I tell you the problem? I, I think you might know what the problem I have. I think I might know what the problem is. <laughs> is that clearly the person who reading it didn't know how to pronounce <laughs> most of the footballers' names and uh, and. Therefore, that all those bits have been re-recorded, and it's it's surprisingly clunky, uh, and then and then it pulls you away from it, unfortunately. So that that I was it was a shame because I thought the actual reading was great, but that was that that sort of doesn't usually happen. But why didn't you do it? It feels, it feels, it feels like a it feels like a therapy session, a weight off of, of my chest. <laughs> I've never actually spoken to people about this. I I, I um yeah, I fully I fully agree. Um, you know because. I mean, there are some some players' names who are hard to say. You know, um, yeah. there, there are the Chelsea keeper currently is Kepa Ritsa Bliag Balaga. You know, it's a mouthful. So there are going to be some names that even you know the, a most loyal football fan uh, would would stumble over. Uh, but yeah, there there are a few a few a few a few names that uh, <laughs> are mispronounced uh, in the in the audio. But I love reading my work out loud. I, you know, I love yeah. performance poetry and I love music, as I've said. And um, yeah, you know, I would have. Uh, Basically, I'm going to demand it for my next book. Is what I'm getting. I think definitely do because you, you know, you're a good speaker. Some novelists aren't good speakers, and I can see it. I can see why they w- would want an actor or someone to do it. But I think it's so unusual because whenever I've done audio books, you know, you get I've re- I've done my audio books of my my own books, but I'll get to something I don't know how to pronounce, and then everyone will get on the you know on the yeah. computer and and find the and find the way to pronounce it. So it's sort of just it just pulls you out of the yeah. of the book. Yeah. And I, and and I I'm a big fan of audiobooks, but I would say unless you redo it. Yes. <laughs> then, then 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 buy this as a book because I think also I think it because it is you know it's something I think you want to interpret for yourself anyway and I think and I think that's uh, you know, as much as yeah, it's it, I, I guess you you doing it is, is one thing, but as a reader, I think it, that it is lovely to get into that rhythm mm. of the writing yourself as well. So yeah, um, and if you don't know how to pronounce the the, the names, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it's sort of I'm so surprised at that they haven't even you know that 
they, they've gone back and re-recorded loads of it, but it sounds like it, they obviously did it from in a studio and then did the re-recording at home, I think, because yeah. the, the sound quality is so different. So this is not a criticism of you, Ashley. No, 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 not at all. No, I think it's, but, I think uh, it's very fair. I think, like I said, I can <laughs> to get it off my chest, even though you did that for me. So I'm very pleased. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will say, though, is I'm going to make a plug here that the 392 audiobook is incredible. Incredible, okay. right? Because there's you know there's, I talk about different characters. So it's really my day. Yeah. Every character is played by a different actor. And the, oh, great. Um, yeah, really, there's, there's like 14 different actors, you know, and the book, wow. the book is only 45,000 words. So, right. um, you know, they really went all out. Um, and that's also on, 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 you know, on all the usual places, including Audible. But I'm super yeah. tough with that. It's like, a, you know, it's very... Like it's like a movie, like a good audio book, you know, and it's even got some music bits in there. They've done, they've done, they've done a good job there. So Great. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited about that book, so I will. And especially if it's a short one, I can yeah. probably I can probably nip that in between. <laughs> in between. When I'm doing a kid's book one week, I'll nip that in at the, at the same, because I can usually get through a kid's book a bit quicker <laughs> than, the, than some of the tomes that I'm doing. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, has, has you write, has, has Yuri... Um, Commented on the on the book himself, and we have, you've you've obviously talked to him a lot. But is is he is he happy with the way it's turned out? Yeah, that's 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 the best question for last. Eh? Best question for last. <laughs> um, you know, I've been I've been quite. I had sleepless nights when I was writing this book, even though I had his permission, and even though um, you know I got some recorded material from interviews. You know, I was nervous because I wanted to do a good job. You know, I wanted to do a good job for me. You know, as a good novel written well, telling a good story, compelling. Um, bit of tension in there. I also wanted to make sure that I was uh, representing, you know, his life and depicting his life in a very fair and ethical and sensitive manner. Not only as a as a famed figure in in many ways, but also as a black man. So I, I think I've done that. I think I've done that. Um, he, I used I used to send him drafts as I was writing it, and I don't think he read it, which he said he didn't. <laughs> um, but when it was finally released um, as a hardback, I sent it sent him one or two copies to, to his address in Sheffield. And um, I got a text, I got a WhatsApp message, which says, I received the book. I liked it. He should like it. He comes across brilliantly. And, and you know, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's just great to, you know, to read a story about someone that you have no idea about, <laughs> and we previously would have had no interest in, and and to sort of and to think of the world from their point of view, which is exactly what this is, uh, and that's to think of the job and the broader world uh, that that man ha- has had to live in and continues to live in. Thank goodness. Mm. Um, uh, has Alan Shearer read it? <laughs> it has got his address. You can have a copy. You can have a copy. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I really liked it. It was kind of a playful, um, yeah, structure from my part, a narrative, narrative ploy on my part to, to to maintain the beef that they had. But the interviews and the words from there are taken from from real articles and, and real interviews. Yeah. So you know, there was some kind of um, you know there was some kind of regular disagreement between the two of them. But it seemed to be relatively sure. playful, and I'm sure they're both big enough men to to go out of it and uh, get on with their lives. You know. I think so. And is there? And you're obviously now, uh, even though as a teenager you weren't a big reader, you obviously are, are deep in the world of literature now, uh, teaching it and writing it. Is there? Is there any books you would like to recommend uh, that aren't your own to, to, our, to our listeners? Yeah. Um, oh, so um, I've got a non-fiction, not me, but um, a non-fiction book called Mandem by Iggy London. Uh, it's coming out. 
uh, you know, early early March has come out, and um, yeah, so it's called Mandem by Iggy London. It's got different essays from from black men, which is really powerful. Uh, Derek right. Owusu is one of my favorite contemporary novelists. His books are super short. Um, his new one, his new one's called Losing the Plot. Uh, it right. was long listed for the what's it called the Dylan Thomas Prize um, this year, uh, and it's yeah, it's fantastic how he writes about. Uh, you know, it's, it's a novel, but it, it writes about his relationship with his mum or, or the, the character's mum. I'm not sure how um, auto-fictionised it is. But, uh, yeah, yeah, Losing the Plot by Derek Obusu. And, um, yeah, Clara and Olivia by Lucy Ash. A really yeah. compelling historical fiction about ballet. Now, I didn't think I was going to love ballet. I mean, I'm, from, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a hackney boy. Uh, you know, I grew up on a council estate in hackney. But it's actually a really compelling, compelling book about two twins... Um, yeah, from from like the nineteen twenties London, and uh, yeah, very competitive, very dark, very thrilling. So yeah, and um, terrific, lovely. Uh, do, 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 I mean, we talked about uh, the you know the underrepresentation just before we go. I should have we should talk about this the underrepresentation of black people in uh, in refereeing and management, but uh, obviously, like in the world of literature, it's it is a very predominantly middle class and and white profession how as as a black writer do you feel things are i mean it's nice that you've you've mentioned some people there but uh, is are things improving is that something or is is you know is is it something that's i mean it's something that i you know i'm, I'm not going to ask the question it's clearly something that still still needs dealing with because but it, it, is that something that that inroads are being made into yeah um I would say slightly slower than the FA and, you know, the, the, positive, yeah. the positivity I had about the FA. Perhaps the publishing industry isn't quite there yet in relation to some of the strides they're making. You know, the, the majority of, of agents and, and editors and publishers are going to be um, white, often white yeah. female, but also males, the, the higher up you go, white males, the higher up you go, which again is a problem in itself. Yeah. Um the work is slowly changing. The work itself, the bodies of work is, is slowly changing. But if the industry doesn't start to make a conscious shift, then perhaps it feels a little bit faddy, um, yeah. a little bit tokenistic, which I'm a bit worried about. Um, obviously, I'm very, I'm very chuffed and, 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 and I love the people that I've worked with across the, the, the different novels that I uh, have worked on or working on. Um, but, you know, I'm just one person, you know, I want the ladder being pulled down and I want to see a wider range of, 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 of figures of colour, figures of marginalised communities across all roles in the publishing and, and um, yeah, publishing and editing industry, agents included in that, because it just feels, you know, I, I expect to meet names like Emma and Philippa and Sophie. Oh, just, yeah. I just mentioned my agent's name. I love you, Philippa. <laughs> um, it's, the same, it's the same ilk. It's the same ilk yeah. people. And that's not going to be a very healthy, you know, a healthy thing for um, for, for writers of colour. No. Okay. That's that. Well, good. Good luck with that. And, you know, I hope this. I hope you know you, your story in, is as influential uh, as uh, as your Irene's as well. Mm. Uh, but uh, it is, you know, it, it is good to think about that. And uh, you know, and this is. Uh, this is a terrific book for so many reasons. So I hope people will buy it. Thank you so much for talking to us, Ashley, and uh, hope that hopefully we'll bump into each other again somewhere down the line. I hope so. Some I really weird hope. sandwiches on the table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and thanks also, of course, to Chris Evans and uh, Ben Evans uh, for all their work they do on the podcast. We'll be back next week. <laughs> Small details are big surfaces. 
tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening. Do come and see me on tour. richardherring.com slash gigs is the easiest way to find out where I'm going. And gofasterstripe.com, you can buy books and downloads. And just tell your friends about the podcast. If you can't make it to the tour show, if you don't want to buy any products, then every time you listen to an advert, you're helping us make more podcasts with a very, very tiny micro payment. So thank you very much for that. I love you all. It's lovely to meet you on tour, by the way. Hello to everyone who's said hello so far. Do come and say hello after the show. If you enjoyed it, if you want to see me, that'd be nice. You can get a selfie. I don't care. I'm a selfie whore. All right, see you soon.